0: Chapter 7, go ahead and grab your Bible tonight. Turn over there. We've been in a series entitled Firestarters. My wife did a great job covering those the last two weeks on Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, how they lied to the Holy Spirit, and God used them as an illustrated sermon uh, on the swiftness of judgment. And then Acts chapter 6, we learned about the role of the deacon. We're going to pick up in a little bit of that tonight because we're talking about one of the first deacons of the early church, Stephen. Um, but tonight, we're going to start at Acts chapter 7. So I want you to look tonight at verse number 54. We're going to cover the context of the whole chapter. But tonight, we're going to start right here. And um, I know that it will be a blessing to you. Acts chapter 7, verse number 54. Here's how it reads. It says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of the Lord of God, and Jesus standing at the hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and they ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice Lord do not charge them with this sin and when he had said this he fell asleep Lord we thank you so much for your word tonight and Lord as we've already prayed but once again we ask you to speak to our hearts give us ears to hear and heart to receive everything you have for us tonight in the name of Jesus and everybody said amen well we're doing a chapter by chapter study, through the book of Acts, and I think it's vitally important uh, to some measure to have what we call expository preaching and teaching, that is going through the Scripture, getting its context, figuring out what the author was saying in that moment and how it applies to our everyday lives. Um, The truth be told, uh, so much bad doctrine and bad theology pops up in the world because people take Scriptures out of context. And when you take the scriptures out of their context, they lose their power. They lose their potency. Uh, The scripture says that that no word from God is without power. And every word from God is inspired by God. And it's um, profitable for reproof and rebuke and doctrine. And so it's important to get a grasp of the word of God. We started out in Acts chapter 1 where uh, we talked about, or actually we did not start in Acts chapter 1 because we covered that. Uh, at the end of our last series, but basically Jesus had showed himself alive, was caught back into heaven, and then, uh, you know, the the angel in the white robe said, "Why you stand here gazing into the heaven, this same Jesus whom you've seen go shall also come in like manner. How many of you are ready to see that? Amen. Come so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Hallelujah. And and so, you know, then we come into Acts chapter 2. And we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room, the uh, 120, the 380. Other people did not click coming on their invite. They clicked decline because Jesus actually invited 500 to come. 120 people showed, uh, 380 declined. And they were gloriously baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter preached, people got saved, people got baptized. Powerful. Then we roll right into Acts chapter number 3 and what we see is Peter going and John going to the temple of prayer. Uh, there's a man lame, and they say, Silver and gold have I none, such as I have in the name of Jesus. Boom, the man gets healed. Everybody's happy, right? Wrong. We get to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, what happens is they ended up um, um, getting threatened with prison and all of these things, and they pray, and they ask the Holy Spirit to fill them again. And the Bible says he did fill them again. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. And um, the church is growing and people are like, you know, in the early days what you've got to understand is that people, what, what happened was was that they grew so fast and when you converted from Judaism to Christianity, for many people that was ostracizing from their families. So they were cut off, oftentimes parents from children and siblings and, and spouses because to become... Christian in Jesus' day was to commit blasphemy against God. The Jews just could not handle it. So what did they do? They all got together. This was not um, a precedent that was set throughout history. This was a one-time thing that happened because people have tried to use this verse to promote socialism. The Bible as a whole does not promote socialism. Um, But what they did was they took everything they had in excess and they sold it and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted to look more holy in front of the people and lied about what they had given. And one of them comes, drops dead. Uh, then the other one comes, drops dead. And I mean, I'm telling you, that's not a great way to start a revival. Amen. But it's what happened. They dropped dead. and They were buried. It was terrible. Then Acts chapter 6 catches us up where uh, the church is growing so fast because they went from 120 to thousands of people. Then there's widows, the Grecians, the Hellenists, and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this? And and the apostles, which are the early church pastors, the early church pastors, they don't have time to pray, they don't have time to study, they don't have time to preach, and, and they're spending all their time awaiting tables, serving widows, fixing bowls of soup. And so they said, let us find Seven men full of good report of wisdom of the Holy Spirit and will appoint them unto this business. And that brings us to Acts chapter seven. Can you say amen? amen? All right, how's that for a recap? Acts chapter seven tells us about this man by the name of Stephen. He is known as the first martyr, first recorded martyr in the history of the church. What is a martyr? Martyrdom is something in America we simply don't like to talk about, but the reality is martyrdom and martyrs have been around since the beginning of church history. Martyrs are people who give their lives for a religious cause. I mean, literally spill their blood. Throughout history, there have been people um, from various cultures, from various nations who have given their lives for the cause of... Christ if you've never read the Fox's Book of Martyrs I would uh, strongly encourage you if you can stomach it to get a copy and read it and because George Fox does a great job in that book talking about some of the early church fathers and how all of the apostles you know all of the apostles except for John John died of old age but 11 of the 12 gave their lives by their own blood for the message of the gospel so uh, Stephen f- fell right along in that particular era, but it was absolutely crazy. You know, we live in America. Things are pretty cush, right? Um, other than somebody crazy standing up in Joel Osteen's church last week and saying some crazy stuff about, about pro-life, uh, we haven't seen a whole lot of religious persecution, which, by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't go look it up. It's terrible. But uh, they had a big disruption with some ladies, and you know, my body, my choice, and they interrupted the whole service. Thousands of people, and they had to carry them out with security. Uh, anyway, it's terrible. But um, that—that's a measure of heckling and persecution. But what they saw in the early church, we've really not saw that in our nation, which is, you know, maybe the burning of churches or the killing of pastors, the arresting and convicting, and the killing of people who convert to Christianity Um, we see it in Malaysia we see it in Pakistan we see it in Iran we see it in a lot of the Muslim dominated places of the world that there is a great price that is paid to be a believer and so tonight you guys need to understand that along with me and everyone else we owe these people a great deal of honor because of the sacrifice that they've made now how many of you love Hebrews chapter 11 I love it. It's the faith chapter. The Bible talks about over and over again the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And we talk about without faith, you know, it is impossible to please God. Those who come to God must believe that He is, He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. We we like to talk about um, now, uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We love the first half. Of Hebrews 11 but most people that I call faith preachers don't preach the last half because the last half of Hebrews 11 talks about those who died in faith never receiving their promise it talks about those who were sawed in half and those who were martyred and those who were crucified and those who were hung and you know what the Bible says about them it says those people the world was not worthy of Because it takes greater faith to serve God in the middle of of opposition than it does to serve God when everything is going right in your life. Amen? And so, um, I think we need to buckle up because I think we will see things like that a little bit more in our world. Let me give you a little bit of of story, of a background story. Uh, Anybody ever heard about the the Great Wells Revival? The Great Wells Revival... About 150 years ago, and out of that Wales Revival, it was a missionary movement. Men and women began to answer the call to missions in the Wales Revival and it swept all throughout Northeast India and and many different places. There was this particular region in this particular area where uh, there was an Assam that had hundreds of aggressive tribes. They were called headhunters. These were wicked people. They cut your head off put it on a stick, and they weren't necessarily cannibals, but they were like second cousins of cannibals. Pretty terrible stuff. And so despite severe opposition, the missionaries shared the gospel to these tribes. I'm reading this account. One of them shared the gospel to a man named Nosing, his wife, and his two kids. Thereafter, they all received Jesus as their Savior, and as a result, many villages turned to Jesus. Hearing this, the angry chief of the village gathered all of them together. He called Nosing to the front and demanded him to renounce his faith publicly or to face death. Touched by the Holy Spirit, Singh replied these words, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The outreach chief ordered the shooting of his two children right in front of him. So their arrows pierced the boys and they fell dead immediately. And again he demanded Singh to deny his faith if he wanted to spare his wife. But Singh responded, Though none joins me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Singh's wife also died due to a fatal arrow blow. The chief then asked for the final time for him to deny his faith, to spare his own life. And Singh gladly said these final words, The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. He was shot immediately like the rest of his family, but this triggered a mass revival in the village, beginning with the chief. The chief was extremely convicted and disturbed by the faith of this man that he could not sleep at night. He could not understand why no seeing his wife and his children gave up their life for a man who lived some 2,000 years ago in some other continent. So he wanted to experience the same remarkable power behind this family's faith. The Holy Spirit touched him and he spontaneously confessed, I too belong to Jesus. Folks, there's not a person in this room who's experienced anything like that. And it, 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 it chaps my hide, as we say in Arkansas, when so many people get offended and get upset, little bitty things. And, you know, you got people across the world who are literally going through their lives giving their sweat and their blood and their very breath for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened with Stephen. When martyrs give their lives to Christ, their blood is not in vain. Stephen was the first recorded martyr. Of the New Testament church. I want to look at his life. First thing I want to talk about the man, the man Stephen. As I mentioned a moment ago Acts chapter 6 says that he was one of the chosen deacons of the early church. He was not an apostle, he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, he wasn't a bishop, he was a deacon. He was just an ordinary man who was serving the Lord in his community. He was one of the early converts you got to understand this acts chapter 6 sets the background of this chaotic scene of church growth and and everybody talks about they want the church to grow until the church begins to grow and you start having act type of problems because growth causes problems and things change and people feel neglected and and those types of things and that's exactly the scene that we have in act 6 he begins to they begin to to start thinking what are we going to do and so they looked out and they found some people who were faithful one of these men was named stephen acts chapter 6 tells us about those seven who were selected that they were fa- there were some things about them that we need to look at i want to look at this together tonight if we can do this in acts chapter 6 is not on the screen and you don't have to put it on there brother but turn back in your bible a page to Acts 6 and let's look at this and let's learn about Stephen Uh, look with me at verse number two it says then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said it is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables now understand it's not because they were too good to serve tables but it's that they were the ones called to preach the word they were the ones called to establish and so they they were not able to do what it was that they were called to do that nobody else could do, and so they had to come up with a plan. Notice, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Everybody say good reputation. That means that means they wanted to find somebody that had a good reputation. You know, people didn't think bad about them, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now We have a biblical precedent for what full of the Holy Spirit means. It's found in Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke with other tongues. So you even had to be spirit-filled to be a table waiter in Acts chapter 6. It's important for you to see. Uh, Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Who appointed them? The apostles. The people chose them. The apostles ratified them. Why? Because they needed to make sure they clicked They needed to make sure they could work on the same team. It was very, very important. Um, And so they they selected them, and they put them over this business. He said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Here's what I want you to know about Stephen. His life was a witness for Christ. He was faithful. There was something in his life that the apostles and the early church members saw that eluded faithfulness. They said, man, if we're going to have somebody that helps with the ministry. Because understand, understand this, the role of the deacon in Acts chapter 6 was to be an extension of the apostles' arms. It's because they weren't able to do everything that they needed to do. They needed some help. And so the word deacon is diakonos in the Greek, it just means servant. And and so they were they were uh, extending, at being an extension of the apostles' ministry. And so Stephen was saw as a man who had integrity, he had character, and, and the early church and the Holy Spirit and the apostles thought it good that Stephen would make a good deacon. And they selected him, they laid their hands on him, and they put him into the ministry. I want you to see that this man was faithful. He was faithful to God, he was faithful to his church, he was faithful to the cause. We see later, we're going to see later, he was faithful to the very end. But we see this man was a good man. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Then the second thing I want us to look at is this. I want to look at his ministry. Look at his ministry. As a deacon, purpose was to facilitate ministry among the widows. He was to make sure that the distributions and those things that needed to take place took place. And uh, besides that beside his role as a deacon he shared the Word of God with others you see in Stephen's life that he shared the Word of God ultimately that's what got him killed now this gives us a little bit of a a side thing people don't realize this but it's actually in Timothy the Bible says one of the characteristics of a deacon is they should be able to teach that's in the Bible why do they need to be able to teach because they're an extension of the Apostles ministry and so there are times where they need to know sound doctrine. They need to be able to teach and communicate the Word of God. It's so important. In today's American culture, we have messed up the role of deacons so much that it doesn't even look like the New Testament pattern. But the truth is, is that it's a very vital role to help the function of the church go forth strong and empower, and to ensure that the needs of the people Are being met spiritually and physically so Stephen was doing that and he was sharing the Word of God but here's what I want you to know he was zealous and he was bold he was zealous and he was bold do you know why he was zealous do you know why he was bold because he was filled with the Holy Spirit you know the Holy Spirit will make you bold the Holy Spirit will give you power the Holy Spirit will give you courage. Anybody remember Popeye, the old Popeye cartoons, the old cartoons? Do you remember when he would pop a can of spinach and he would just go hulk on people? I'm telling you, the other is like that. The Holy Spirit's like that. He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you remember what Popeye said. I'm being funny. He said, I can't stand, I can't stand, I can't stand no more. And he got strong in might. And in the power of that spinach. Well, guess what? We need to get strong in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Stephen did. He was a man that was full of integrity. He had character. He loved the church. He loved the Lord. He loved the people. He supported the apostles. He was in ministry. It was an amazing thing. I want to say this. We need deacons who are faithful and zealous and bold for the Lord. We need that. And we have that. That God is so good to us. Um, So we see the man, and we see his ministry. But here's the thing I want you to see next. I want you to see his message. We're going through these kind of strong and kind of fast. His message. Stephen ended up losing his life. Now, Stephen is known as the first martyr of the church, but he's not the first martyr of the Bible. Um, Just after the book of Acts, what we have recorded... But, you know, John the Baptist, you n- anybody remember why he lost his head? For preaching against adultery, right? That a man shouldn't have his, his neighbor's wife or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, he preached and, and they said she could have whatever, uh, whatever she wanted. She said, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. You know, uh, God give us preachers like John the Baptist. Amen. We got a bunch of sissified preachers in America won't talk about nothing, won't say nothing, won't stand up for righteousness. Listen, I'm convinced that most preachers in America don't have to worry about getting martyred because they ain't saying nothing to get killed over. Seriously. If Jesus or Paul were here today, he wouldn't be welcome in most of our churches because we'd say, oh, brother, don't say that. You might run somebody off. But John was strong. And whether or not you think it or not, Jesus was pretty strong. Jesus wasn't weak. His message wasn't weak. He wasn't passive. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was, he was sympathetic uh, to an extent to sinners. And, you know, he told people, neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. But, man, he also called people a brood of vipers and snakes and told them to repent and uh, escape the judgment that was to come. I mean, he was not a willy-nilly preacher. I think we've painted a picture of Jesus that fits our American gospel. The truth is, he was a a tough man who carried a cross. He was a a carpenter, if you will, and a stonemason. He had calluses on his hands and and he knew how to get business done. We the same Jesus who who wept at Lazarus' tomb also went into the temple with a with the with the whip of small cords and drove out the money changers. I mean, he meant business. And you know, uh, John got ultimately killed. Because of his message. Um, Jesus obviously got killed ultimately for his message. And Stephen got killed because of his message. His message was in direct opposition to the religious sects of the day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of those high-ranking officials. And what was his message? Here's, here was Stephen's message. Stephen's message was this. Uh, was several aspects. Number one, it was that Jesus freed us from the law. Now, the Pharisees hated that because their salvation and their strength was in keeping the law, you know. Uh, But here's the thing about the law that none of us realize, or that that they didn't realize we do. We have the New Testament, but Paul tells us in Romans that the law was a schoolmaster just to bring us to Christ. And he, he went on to say this, that if you break one of the laws, you're guilty of all of them. So you might say, well, I've kept this one, and I've kept this one, and I've kept this one, and I've kept this one. And all of those laws are moral laws, and we should strive to keep them. I mean, America would be better if we didn't lie, we didn't steal, we didn't covet, we did, we honored the Sabbath day. God forbid you say something about honoring the Sabbath day. But, you, you know, you, all of these things. And 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 I'm telling you, life would be better if we honored the Lord. But in our own morality and righteousness, Jesus said if you break one of them, you're of all of them. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to keep them because we should but the whole point of the law that the Pharisees were using to try to strangulate people and to put them into bondage was, was to push them away from the freedom that Christ had offered. And Stephen comes in the face of these Pharisees and he said, Christ has freed us from the law and i am tell you, they didn't like that second aspect of his, of his message that he preached he said that God no longer dwells in temples made with the hands of men. Now, you want to make an enemy, you start talking to the Jews and tell them their temple don't mean anything. Woo-wee. You're liable to come home with your head on a stick if you go to talking like that. They were upset about it because, you know, the, the temple was the focus of Jewish life, and, and you know, that temple's been destroyed. The, the, there's a Muslim mosque there now, and the book of Revelation does tell us that there's going to be a third temple built in the middle of the tribulation period. But, but but when Jesus died on the cross, what happened was the veil of that temple was ripped from the top to the bottom, exposing the fact that the presence of God is not contained inside of a box anymore or behind a veil. That's why Paul said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom we've been sealed by God? So it's important for us to realize that that Stephen's message, though it was true, it enraged the Jewish right. And the Bible says that it was so bad, they gnashed their teeth and they stopped their ears. Now... How many of you have ever had a toddler or you babysitted one? That sounds like something a baby would do. You know, I'm not listening to you. Stop their ears and stomp off and storm off. But that's what these men did. They became enraged and they went and they grabbed their rocks and they began to to go out and and to, uh, to let Stephen have it. We looked at the man, we looked at his ministry, we looked at his message. The last thing I want to look at is is this martyrdom. Because of his message, the Bible says they seized him suddenly, quickly. They grabbed him. He didn't have time to think about it. they pulled him outside of the city. And they took rocks. And they began to kill him. Now, the thing that you have to understand, because all of us become emboldened and just mad when we think about what had happened right here. but. Think about this. There's a beautiful picture that's being painted in the backgrounds of this scene that you and I have to wrap our minds around. Let's go here for a second and let me show you. And then I'm going to come back and tell you what I'm thinking. Acts chapter 7. Look at verse number uh, 57 with me. It says, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and they ran at him with one accord And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their feet of a young man, notice this, named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on the name of the Lord, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down, and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, first martyr of the church, is taken outside of the city. And within legal parameters of the law, they go to stone him for committing blasphemy. That's what he's being killed for. And here they have their rocks pelted and they're throwing them at him. Right here, another beautiful picture begins to paint of Saul of Tarsus. Later to be known as the Apostle Paul. At the scene of this stoning. Now, notice something about the words of Stephen that are very convicting. It says he was calling on God and saying, Lord, receive my spirit. Who else do we have record of in Scripture that says similar words? Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. Then he he dropped his head, and he gave up the ghost, and he died. But it doesn't just stop there. Notice what else he says. It says, then he knelt down, and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He fell down on his knees, and he prayed, and he said, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Who else said something very similar? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because... Honestly, they thought they were doing the right thing, wholeheartedly. You know, the Bible says that, that later about Saul's conversion, you, you're, you're, you're getting a taste right now for a couple chapters, and you're going to understand why the early church rejected Saul for a, for a little minute, because they knew his reputation. It'd be like Hitler getting saved and joining the Jewish choir the next Sunday. I mean, suspicious. Suspicious. And rightly so. So they had their eyes on But what we see is Saul in the background. Involved in the first murder of the martyr of the church, Stephen. Now, we'll get into this a little bit later. The Bible says about Paul. People say, oh, well, Paul's name was changed. No, one of them is just a Roman form. There's no spiritual thing there. His name really wasn't changed. The scripture doesn't say it was changed. It just... He went from Saul to Paul because one is Roman, one is Hebrew. Um, so what we see is Paul later in his writings to the church of Corinth, when he's writing, he says, I, I know a man, whether in the body or in the spirit, I don't know, he was caught up into the third heaven. And he says, Saw things lawful unlawful for me to speak for him to speak of. And he begins to talk about his experience, and then he says, And it was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, sent to buffet me. So that I might not exalt myself against measure. Now, folks, I'm not going to build a doctrine off of this or anything like that. People have debated for centuries what the Paul's thorn in the flesh was. The The literal rendering of that in the original language is a messenger sent from Satan to buffet him or to repetitive, repetitively stripe him. I, I, I believe Paul, because of his past, walked in great condemnation. You don't believe me? I know great men and women of God, who'd been in the military, fought in Vietnam, fought in World War II, and had to do unspeakable things and still can't forgive themselves. I think Paul did horrible things. The Bible says Paul drugged men and women out of their houses and children and killed them. And the scripture says he thought he was doing Yahweh God a favor because of the blasphemy. He didn't understand. He had partial revelation. And, and I believe... That Paul, whenever he would go to do things and he would go to to preach, the devil would bring back the moments of Stephen. And I, like I said, I'm not painting a doctrinal picture. That's just my personal thought based on the reading of the text. But it, whatever it was, the Lord did not allow it to be taken away from him. That's another story for another time. But ultimately, Stephen didn't revolt. He didn't fight back. And ultimately. Gave up his life. Now, this is interesting because there's some wordage in Acts chapter 7 that should cause us to pay attention. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, We've been seated with Christ in heavenly places, right? When Jesus went to the cross, when he died, when he was buried, when he was resurrected, the Bible says he ascended in high and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. To be seated was a, a sign of I am finished, it is done, there is nothing else to do. He is seated in his rightful place. But when you see Jesus, and when Stephen saw Jesus in Acts chapter 7, he was not seated. I want you to go back and look at it. Look at what he says in verse number 55. It says, But he being full of the Holy Spirit, Acts 7 55, he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus what standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You know, you know, the Bible actually tells us in the New Testament there are five different crowns people can receive in heaven. I can teach on that some other time. There's, a, there's a, a soul winner's crown. There's a martyr's crown. There are different crowns that the scriptures mention in the New Testament alone. Five of them, one of them being a martyr's crown. That when people who give their life to Christ... And, and, and serve him and ultimately give their lives by bloodshed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not through war, not through things of that nature, but they give their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they get to heaven, God's going to give them a, a crown. Crown. Can you imagine Jesus looking up over the banisters of heaven, down into the corridors of the earth, Seeing his son, Stephen, not denying his faith, not denying his message, not denying the God who saved him, he caused Jesus to stand up in pride in a good, good, proud way and look. See, it's a serious subject tonight we talk about because I hope that nobody in this room will ever have to go through this but I, we were talking about this a little bit in the office today though we though we hope we never have to go through this we should resolve in our hearts what would we do if we had to go through that I mean, think about it Jesus said if you deny me before men then I'll deny you before my father and if you confess me before me, then I'll confess you before my father. And just think about it. If somebody as heinous as Hitler or some some type of villain, uh, the Taliban, uh, some the Columbine shooter. We know that young man went into Columbine and pulled a gun on his classmate. And he one of the girls that he shot, he shot her because she wouldn't denounce her faith. Uh, we, we ask ourselves, what would we do in moments like that? But the truth that we have to rally around. Tonight is this: is that if we are truly saved, okay, I mean truly saved. I don't mean church saved. You know, There's a difference between church saved and truly saved. I mean, I mean, I mean, saved and sanctified, and you're living for God, and you're ride or die. You're not a Sunday morning only Christian. You're not an Easter Christmas only Christian. You're a for real Christian. I'm talking about the type of people who are for real in love with God. When you give your life to Him, it doesn't belong to us anymore. It doesn't belong to us anymore. We give it to Him. And I hear people all the time say, yeah, I would die for Christ. Well, how can you die for Him if you can't even live for Him? Something to think about. The stoning of Stephen gives us a picture of the bloodshed of the early church. And what we see, though he was the first, he was not the last. And though his death was tragic and brutal, it paved the way for the church to experience revival. I want to tell you a little bit of a story that happened this last week. and It was crazy and creepy to me all at the same time. So, I don't know how many of you remember, but our services for, for Sundays, uh, they get edited, they get put on the internet, and we actually, we're actually live in Pakistan in the 1040 window every single week with our messages translated in the bottom in Farsi. And so Muslims and, and English-speaking Middle Eastern people can hear our messages, and people have gotten saved and all kind of stuff. Pretty interesting. Well, I'm in the hotel lobby, and I'm closing. You can close your Bible. I'm in the hotel lobby in Nairobi, Kenya. And I see some friends of mine pop in uh, from Louisiana, which is kind of weird that you got to go across the world to see your friends who are a couple hours away. Kind of weird, but whatever. They were there doing some missions work as well. It's a, it's a, a real nice hotel that's very welcoming to Westerners. And so uh, if you've ever been out of the country and stayed in a hotel, you wouldn't understand. But it, it's a different ball game out there. But, uh, but anyway, um, this guy, I get a picture on my phone. And it's a picture of me standing in the background, and I'm creeped out. And all of a sudden, this little Pakistani guy runs up to me. He goes, oh, brother, brother, I have you on Facebook. And he pulls out his phone, and he says, I watch you on YouTube. I watch you on TV. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. And this guy, this guy has messaged me like, like uh, time and time and time and time again. And, you know, he was just enamored to meet me like I'm some celebrity, and I'm not. But what I, what I didn't realize is I went back up to my room, because it was late. Went back up to my room. They were, they were leaving out on a mission. Went back up to my room. My best friend's mom had just gone to town from, from Tanzania, and she was down there in the lobby. She was sitting there talking to these young men from Pakistan and India. And the stories that they told her just blew me away they're sitting here they're like oh you know I saw you on the on the television screen which is nothing but these guys have been arrested in India and Pakistan their lives have been threatened their children have been hurt kidnapped abused for preaching the gospel and I'm humbling myself here and thinking man, you you think I'm the hero you're the hero huh because I've not paid any kind of price like that. I've not paid any kind of price like that at all. And in the church, we, we, we try to not be super political. And I, I don't think it's wise to be super political. But I also believe that as citizens of our nation, um, if we don't stand up for our religious freedoms and things of that nature, we could find ourselves like some of these other nations who don't have the freedom to communicate or to publish or to write or to go on the Internet. You know, China filters everything out of the Internet, Christian. If you want to take a Bible into China today, you've got to put it in, a, in an almanac and put another cover on it and hope somebody doesn't open it and read it. All the digital files they read, all the websites are encrypted. Um, you just can't find anything. And uh, if they catch you going to church in China, it's, it's, it's bad news for you. We live in a blessed nation. and We ought to kiss the ground every time we wake up in the good old USA and and, and ask God to bless it and thank God that we live here. And, but bottom line is, is that we've got to understand that the gospel, though it is free for us to receive, it costs a lot of people their own lives. Not just Jesus. Do you know many of you would not have a Bible in your hand? had it not been the blood for, uh, been for the blood of Martin Luther who rebelled against the catholic church and said what you're teaching's not right and he ended up losing his life to get a bible that's readable in the hands of people and yet so many people have multiple bibles at home and don't read them think about it we are blessed amen so let's end on this note close your bible you can stand with me we're going